Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Daily Premier League news and views. This is Football Social Daily. It's Friday, it's the final Football Social Daily of the week before the weekend's action kicks in and it is a bumper review show today on Football Social Daily after a midweek glut of tantalising Premier League fixtures. Three big games, three 1-0 away wins, but only one big record broken at Anfield last night and I'll wager that Steve McNaughton can't wait to discuss that one. Morning Steve. Morning Jim, I didn't know we were going to talk about that today, I think I've, I've double booked myself. <laughs> Marley Anderson alongside Steve, how you doing Marley? Yeah, I'm good mate, I'm just surprised, it, it doesn't sound too windy at the top of the live building where uh, where Steve's recording from does it? <laughs> Ooh. Listen, you're in the same boat as me, you know what I mean, you've got players and coaches fighting each other on the training ground and stuff so... You know, we could suffer together. Nothing nothing new for my club, mate. Who would have thought we'd have a Newcastle fan, a Liverpool fan and a West Ham fan on the podcast? <laughs> and West Ham would be the team that's feeling smuggest right now. I am Jim Salverson. I am that West Ham fan. We're going to be talking today about Thomas win by a goal Tuchel's victory over the Reds shortly, as well as Tottenham scraping a victory against fellow Londoners Fulham and West Brom, who are creeping closer to the relegation trapdoor after their defeat last night to Everton. We're also going to be talking about controversial VAR calls in every single one of those matches. Plus, the international break is around the corner for some nations, which means potentially some long-term absentees for a few clubs, given the current COVID regulations around quarantine that are in place right now. We're going to be looking at the rights and wrongs of that situation a little bit later. And we'll discuss how it could affect the Premier League run-in. But first... So, Steve, yeah. do you know which record was broken last night at Anfield? Yeah, it was the first time in our history we've lost five home games on the bounce. Oh, that wasn't the one I was thinking of, actually. There's another record. There's two uh, records broken last yeah, night. Well, well, please enlighten me into what the other one is. So, Liverpool are the first ever English top-flight reigning champions to lose five consecutive home games in a season. Lovely. So, double record breakers last night at Anfield. It yeah. was Liverpool nil. It was Chelsea 1. Who are we blaming this week, Steve? Um, well, so, I mean, 
you know, I've, I've, talk, I've been on the podcast quite a lot in the last couple of weeks, um, which the listeners will be thrilled about. Um, but I think <laughs> that, um, yeah, I've talked about injuries in the past and the fact that the impact that it's had on the Liverpool team and certainly in the system that they play and the very rigid system that Liverpool play, let's be frank about it. Um, but when I seen that team last night, I thought, OK, we've got Alisson, we've got... Uh, Trent Alexander-Arnold, we've got Ozan Kabak, we've got Fabinho back at centre-half and we've got Andy Robertson, Thiago Wijnaldum, Curtis Jones and the front three of Salah, Mane and Firmino. I thought to myself, that's a team that can beat Chelsea comfortably. Um, I thought, did, if the injuries didn't even come into my head last night um, when I seen the, ta- the team and yes, we're missing the likes of Virgil van Dijk, Joe Gomez, Joel Matip, so your first three centre-backs are out. But, I don't think we can talk, we can we can use that anymore. I don't mm. think that yes we've been very unfortunate about it. there's no doubt about it and I think the injuries that we have had would would impact on any team you know in the league but last night I just I got to the point where it were I'm I'm just sick of it now. I'm just sick of hearing about kind of the blame being apportioned to some other factor when the reality is last night them lads went on the pitch last night and they were useless. Um, for better use of it, they, they were terrible. They were so abject, it was unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Um, no energy, no kind of desire, no is drive. It a confidence thing now, do you think? Yeah, because it is. It, it is because there's rot setting in, and it is a confidence thing. And you know, I've had many kind of WhatsApp chats as you can imagine. Liverpool had a, a whole host of world class players on the pitch last night. I mean, they probably had five, six, seven world class players on the pitch last night. And to put a performance in like that against a team that were there for the taking. I mean, we made Chelsea look really, really good last mm. night. And don't get me wrong, Thomas Tuchel is doing a really good job. Very kind of attritional football you know, from, from Chelsea. But the players have stepped up and they're taking the chances. We, we, were, we were hopeless last night. And some of the decisions were, were quite frankly bizarre. Dragging Salah on 62 minutes because he didn't look fresh and he was feeling a bit of the intensity and stuff like that. This is a guy that's played in two Champions League finals. He's won the Premier League and, and, and the other trophies that he's won while he's been at Liverpool. Uh, if there's intensity in a game, surely that's where he thrives. And I just think that the wheels have, have fallen off. Um, I think there's... There is a loss of confidence, you know. Don't get me wrong. I don't think Allison's confident in what in what he's got in front of him, you know, at the minute, which is why he's making a whole host of rash decisions. Obviously, when we take the emotional emotion of the the recent situation out of it, um, which obviously I understand will be very taxing for someone. Um, but I just think that defensively they had a shambles. The midfield was non-existent, and the front three can't buy a goal at the minute. I mean, it's it's one goal, you know, since the calendar year turn of the calendar mm. year at Anfield, and you just can't see Liverpool scoring at the minute unless it's a penalty, and and that's what the worrying thing is with it. And I think that you know they just they're just so gun shy and they're so wasteful as well, which I've I've said you know a few times on the podcast, and. Something isn't right, and I think, and, and obviously, it's it's a very kind of close, guarded club, and you know, a real kind of inner sanctum. At what goes on, and I think it might be down the line or something like that. We find out what has gone on, but I mean, I look at the ball that Sadio Mane got in. I think it was from Thiago or Trent last night, where he should have just literally volleyed it in one 0 Liverpool, and he just scuffs it, and you're just thinking. You know, last season, the season before, the season before that, he just gobbles that up. You know what I mean? So. All's not well, and I think that, um, yes, there's factors, but I don't think we can blame them anymore. I think tactically, we don't have 
any other ideas when the chips are down. It is the same thing week in, week out. We don't have the squad to rotate. And, and you know, th- there's a massive job to do in, in summer because I think that it's the team feels to me like it needs a bit of surgery on it. And I think we need to bring a striker in, we need to bring a centre-half in. And, you know, we, we may need to bring a midfielder or two in, depending on what happens with, you know, Genie Wijnaldum. So, it's a big summer, but last night, fair play to Chelsea. They look, they look good. Liverpool made them look good, and, and, and they took the chances. Should have been 2-0, in all honesty. I thought the Werner goal that was disallowed was an absolute joke. Is there a case now, Marley? And there were some rumours around potentially Klopp walking or replacing Jurgen Klopp at a few months ago and it was kind of dismissed and it was ridiculous but now we're in a situation where as Steve says there's a football club here that needs some surgery but Liverpool are a football club that don't want to spend a huge amount of money they don't want to net spend yeah, they, don't want, they don't want to reinvent their playing staff and we talk about this kind of cyclical nature of football that every three four years now it feels like whoever your manager is that there needs to be some kind of change there needs to be some kind of reinvention if that's not going to happen with the playing staff does it actually need to happen with the management do they need to maybe look for fresh ideas from somewhere else say well that's uh it's, it's, they call this Marley. It's, yeah, it's something you'd <laughs> never ever imagine, would you, that we were talking about, you know, nine months ago or whatever it was, or twelve months no. ago. Um, no, to be honest, no, I don't think it's a change that needs to be made. Um, I think at any point when they do decide to get rid of Klopp, the the, the manager's there ready to come in because it's, it's it's Steven Gerrard at Rangers easily um, would take over. I think at any point. Um, so I think. You've got to give Klopp everything that he needs to to bring it back, bring it back around. Because he, he's showed that, you know, he's he's built a squad that's won the Premier League at a canter. Um, he and th- for as long as this season goes on, like there are obvious reasons as to why Liverpool have been way off it, and they are the injuries. And and I know we don't like to talk about, you know, blaming everything on their injuries, but. They've had a lot to go through this season in in terms of the players they're missing. Um, Klopp's mother dying, uh, Allison's dad dying. Like they've had, they have had bad luck. Like it's it's funny to watch them get nowhere near the title after they were so loud last uh, last year, and that does make me smile a bit. But <laughs> it is um, there is there is asterisks there for them, um, and until you 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 smooth them out. And you have a clear run. Let's say they had a clear run with Van Dijk in the team all season, and they, you know, they they didn't have everything going on this year. Um, I think they'd be a lot closer. And I think next year when they've got everyone back, then you can see where they are. And if they finish ten, fifteen points off Man City, then you say, okay, maybe maybe we've come to the end of this cycle. Maybe we need to rebuild again. Is it better to rebuild with somebody else like Steven Gerrard, for example, and and let him come in with a blank slate and and try and go again? But uh, right now, I think there's there's too much going on, and there's been too many uh, legitimate and and sort of um, what's the word sort of uh, mitigating factors. Yeah, mi- yeah, mitigating factors. Yeah. Um, so yeah, um, right now, no, just just trust Klopp. Let's let's see what he can do next season. This season's gone. Just try and get in the top four. Um, don't make any knee jerk decisions. Yeah. So uh, we'll see. We'll see what they can do, but. Obviously, it's not a good season, but they, you got to roll with the punches. I think sometimes this league will, of course, will will run away from you very, very quickly. 
I think the um, I don't think getting your, rid of Jurgen Klopp is is even in the board's mind or or any legitimate fan's mind. He, you know, he's what he's achieved at the club has been nothing short of phenomenal. I think I think the club let him down in January. You know, by not kind of going out and, and addressing the um, the centre half issue. I mean, they've they've signed Ozan Kabak and Ben Davies from from Preston. Ben Davies has been injured. Um, which is obviously very typical of, of the centre half situation. Ozan Kabak is twenty years old. He's he's not quick enough. Um, you know, from what we've seen of him, he, he does lack some pace. So I don't understand why October November time when Van Dijk and Gomez, you know, got a career. I was going to say career, then Jesus Christ, uh, season ending season ending injuries. <laughs> I, I don't understand why the board didn't kind of have a ready a replacement ready to sign on the first of January. Um, and and just go and kind of spend that thirty, forty, fifty million or, or whatever on a on a centre half because Liverpool are very creative in the transfer market. You know, they took just, a gamble, didn't they? Ultimately, yeah. they just they decided they could cope, and yeah. ultimately that has backfired because they couldn't. But I think that you know I'm hearing as well that FSG didn't think it was a massive problem because they trusted in the in commas genius of Jurgen Klopp, Jurgen Klopp to get us through the, this situation, and I think. There's been a bit of naive, naivety on that part and, and I just don't think they backed him enough in January when he needed it most because after you've won the Premier League, Champions League and, and the other trophies, you know, whatever your manager needs, you give him, um, you know, mm. within reason. And I'm not saying go and spend bloody eighty million quid on a thirty year old cooler barley, but you know, go and kinda get a good centre half from someone because some of the names that were mentioned in, at the end of the transfer window when um Joel Matip's season was finished um, and then we went into panic mode and started kind of scrambling around for for the centre half with with two days to go. Um, you know some of the names that were mentioned, like like for example Coletta Carr from from Marseille, the Croatian centre back, who's really really good, or Sven Botman from Lille. Um, go and get it done in, in in the start of January. Go and pay what what they need because we we agreed the deal with Marseille for Coletta Carr, but Marseille pulled out when he was about to jump on a private jet, saying. We haven't got enough time to sign a replacement. And I think that they're the types of mistakes that, that Liverpool have made. And I think that um, they paid the price for the, for, for the lack of you know lack of kind of ambition in the transfer market in summer and, and January, really. And I understand that there's, there's, you know, there's been a pandemic and we're co- hopefully coming to the back end of the pandemic and fans are going to be allowed in the stadium again soon. But there's no excuse for hesitating the way that, that they did in them transfer windows. And it is thoroughly, thoroughly bitten us on the arse. And I think that um, compounded by, by that, the fact that we don't have another way to play is, is a real concern as well. Um, I trust Jurgen Klopp. I think he's absolutely the right man to do it. And, and I want him to stay around for, for a lot longer. But, you know, I think Liverpool need to spend some big money in summer. And, and that's the big concern, really. They've got a lot of, I was going to say talent then, but um, they've got a lot of deadwood they could shift out the squad which could generate 70, 80 million quid for them. I think I've reeled the names off in, in, in the podcast in the last couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're probably going to have to stick a couple hundred million on top of that. Um, I think Liverpool need a really, really big summer window. Um, I think we're, it, there's probably going to be anything between six and seven players coming in um, with, with five or six leaving, you know, in the other, in the other direction. But it's a, it's a real kind of pivotal moment this in summer because... If FSG say to Jurgen Klopp, well, there's 50, 60 million quid transfer budget, that isn't enough to fix Liverpool. Um, and then he will probably look at it and go, well, 
have a, you know, how can I kind of fix this? Can I fix it, or or do a walk away? Because I think obviously the rumours popped up about you know Joachim Luver, um, the German manager, going after the Euros in summer, um, and I think Jurgen does have an interest in that German national job at some point. But I just think it's a it's a massive summer for Liverpool um, because. There's so many things happened, and I mean, people talking about Steven Gerrard. I don't think he's the answer. Um, I think yes, he's done really well at Rangers, and it's absolutely you know it's really good for him that he's won a title or will win a title this weekend if results go their way. Um, but it's too soon for him. You know, he cannot come in. I mean, an absolute disaster would be summer if Jurgen walked away in summer. Um, which I don't think he will do, but I'm just speaking hypothetically. And he said, all right, let's go on Rangers and let's go and pay Rangers 7, 8 million compensation to get Steven Gerrard out of that job. Um, I think it's too soon for him. I think if, in an ideal world for me, you know, Steven would go into the lowest, bottom half of the Premiership or go to the Championship and get a team promoted that have struggled. Um, you know, like if he went and did like, I, I don't know, you know, the the... I'm not saying Derby because Rooney's gone in there, but a club of that ilk, you know, where he can he, Middlesbrough, something like that, where he goes and gets them into the Premier League as, as a winner of the Championship. I think that there's still a bit of education to do for Stephen, and I think it wouldn't be fair to rush him into the job just because of his connection with Liverpool as well. Um, so it, there's, there's loads of permutations at Liverpool, and I think there's genuine concern about how the season has collapsed. Mm. I think that's probably enough Liverpool talk for now because we should focus on the other two there were two teams playing last night at Anfield and one of them came out victorious Chelsea with another as as Steve said very solid performance but not particularly exciting performance is this what we're going to expect from Tuchel going forward do you think Marley is this I mean we, we kind of said he's settling in when he rolled out these 1-0 victories and draws at the start of his tenure at Chelsea he's a few weeks in now still unbeaten and there's no real change to the style of play. So is this what Chelsea fans need to get used to? A very efficient form of football? Um, possibly. Um, I think Tuchel is tactically spot on. Um, I know it hasn't been massively exciting um, in terms of you know scoring goals and creating chances and all the rest of it. But I think, you know, he's had, I think he's had 10 games in charge now and he's only conceded two goals in that time. Um, and that proves to me that he's a good tactician. He, he knows where things um, are likely to hurt his team, um, and he knows that he's got enough power up front um, to to nick a goal and to get, you know, to make a breakthrough. Like last night against Liverpool, it was. I think I said on the podcast yesterday. It might be. It's interesting to watch the possession because the less Chelsea possession they have, the more dangerous they can be on the counter attack with the pace. And it, it proved like uh, last night straight away because. Chelsea were immediately going long. There wasn't any pretty passing. There wasn't any, um, well, there wasn't as much sort of, you know, short, almost pointless possession. It was kind of get the ball and get it forward quickly because that's where you can hurt Liverpool because once they're, they're back running towards their own goal, they're, they're nowhere near as good with, you know, the likes of Kabak just still settling in, playing alongside a new partner like Fabinho. You've got a right back who can't defend, so there you go. Let's Let's hurt them like that. And that's exactly how they did it and... You know, Mount's uh, Mount's goal was brilliant. Um, shocking defending for it. Shouldn't let him come inside um, at all. Just force him down the line and and push him into nothing. But um, Chelsea did. Chelsea had got the tactics spot on, and that's what we're seeing with um, with Tuchel. So as long as he still gets that right, um, I don't think they've got anything to worry about. I think they'll be a massive, massive force next season when he gets 
a summer and he can have uh, he can maybe sign a couple of players. Maybe he wants to sign a striker, for example, uh, who can play up side, um, up alongside uh, Timo Werner or something like that. You know, um, then Chelsea will become a, a serious force, and I think um, I think they're they're well positioned now to get into that top four, and I'd probably back them to finish second mm. on current form. Mason Mount was superb again last night. He's really found his feet under the new boss. And Timo Werner, I thought, played really well, although showed those flashes of potential that he has done in a few games, but lacked that final product. Is Timo Werner going to be one of those players, Steve, that we talk about for years in the Premier League, who looked promising coming in, there was a bit of a tug of war to sign him, but then when he gets onto the pitch, he just never quite finds his feet. He never quite makes it. Could he be one of those enigmas? Maybe. I think that you know a lot of very, very good strikers have gone into Chelsea and just not made it happen, have they? Um, and I think that I think you know when you move to a big cl- well, I was going to say a big club then steady on uh, when you move to Chelsea <laughs> uh, <laughs> only the second biggest club in London at the moment let's remember that. No, actually they're yeah absolutely yeah you know kind of like yeah you know just kind of you know we're not talking West Ham level here Jim you know um, <laughs> but I think you know on all seriousness um, before the bad reviews come in um, I think that. Um, there's, there's a striker in there, you know. There's a good striker in there, but uh, Timo does play in a certain way, doesn't he? He likes that that kind of ball over the top to latch onto, doesn't he? And I think sometimes that when teams are wise to that and and they can have a proper defensive line and they can manage that situation, I think that's where he toils, isn't it? And I think that he looked good last night because Liverpool were so bad at the back. Um, but I think the I think there is a player in there. I, I think that. You don't turn it up in the Bundesliga for what three or four seasons like he did, and suddenly become a bad player. Um, and I just think that you know he'll be much richer for the experience of a season in the Premier League because he's still a relatively young man as well. What's he, twenty three, something like that? And um, I just think he, he'll adjust and he'll kind of evolve his game. And I think that he's got a studious manager in there who will will kind of look at hours and hours of footage and look at where he's struggling and, and point that out to him and, and I think they'll work on it together. Um, you know, he, he's gonna be in a team that that wins matches, you know, by one or two goals. Um, you know, I don't think I don't think Chelsea are gonna be one of them teams that kinda, of, you know, whack five or six on people, you know, certainly the way that, that Tuchel is setting them up at the minute, but I think they'll be very, very efficient in winning lots of football matches. Um, and I just think they've got to tweak his approach a little bit, and and I think he'll come good. Um, you know, I hope he comes good for his sake, just not good enough where they win stuff. But um, I think that yeah, you know, you look at the likes of Shevchenko, um, Torres, Batshuayi, um, people like that who've who've put the Chelsea jersey on and struggled when they played up top. So he's not he's in quite some um, good company there. You know, the struggle that he's had this season, but. Yeah, give the lad time, you know, kind of work with him across kind of, you know, the close season um, and work on some of them things he's found difficult, you know, in, in his first season and he'll be fine for them. He did have a goal ruled out for offside. It was called Disgraceful. Off- it was offside though, wasn't it, ultimately? It was, I mean... Was the- it? Yeah, I mean, fractionally. And I think they said in the commentary, if you're drawing lines on a screen, 
then and you're having to look at it in kind of minute detail then you shouldn't judge it offside because it's impossible to actually judge it by those fractions with a moving ball etc etc but ultimately it was probably one of the less tenuous decisions that were made last night the big decision with VAR the big controversy came in the game we're going to talk about next Fulham versus Tottenham Spurs with the win but Fulham will feel very hard done by and we'll get onto that next on Football Social Daily Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Listen to the latest Premier League news, updates and match reports now. Just ask Open Sport Social. Welcome back to Football Social Daily. It's Spurs versus Fulham next, a London derby. And after Spurs' 4-0 win at Burnley at the weekend... I was expecting a rout here. I mean, this is why I treble captained Harry Kane and my fancy football team, Marley. But I don't know whether <laughs> the fact that Spurs didn't get the win, coming off the back of that 4-0 win versus Burnley, well, they did get the win, but it wasn't maybe as, as impressive as some people thought. It was 1-0. Was this a sign of Spurs just being inconsistent yet again? Or is it a sign that Fulham are actually playing some decent football at the moment and they've become... If they played at this level since the start of the season, then they'd probably be mid-table rather than scrapping away at the bottom. Yeah, I think uh, I think Fulham. I think people look at where Fulham are in the league and think they're not a very good team. Um, and I'm looking at them every week because I'm hoping they lose every week because uh, I want them to stay in the bottom three rather than Newcastle. And I'm seeing <laughs> seeing them play some bloody good football, and you know they're they're causing problems for every team they play against, and. I think just a lot of the time they're just not quite getting that breakthrough. They're almost got a similar situation to Brighton, as in they're very good up until the the crunch, up until they get to that mm. that um, inside the the penalty area where they've got to find someone to put a put the ball in the net, and they're not quite doing it. Um, I think they had a goal disallowed last night for Josh uh, Josh Marger, and uh, it's just a, it was a ridiculous call by by the referee. Um, for the handball, I think it's against Lamina, wasn't it? Or in the build-up, and yep. I mean, what's what's the guy got to do, man? Like he's got his hands by his side; they're not right. Well, oh, let's just describe. Re- ru- let's just describe roughly what happened there, in case people haven't seen the highlights. So, yeah, as you say, Josh Madger's goal was ruled out. It was kind of a scramble in the box. The ball was free. A, a Spurs defender attempts to clear it. I can't remember who it was, but from about a yard there. away. It, yeah, it hits Lamila on the lower part of his arm. So it does touch his hand. It does touch his arm. But as you say, his arms are by his side. Mm. He's standing sideways on to the defender who smashes the ball from about a yard away. And it does hit his hand. Yeah. So, again, by the letter of the law, it's one of those things that it is handball. But at the same time, there's nothing he could have done to get out of the way of that. No, not at all. Um, I think... With the one thing we've always understood about handball, no matter how many times the rule changes, we've all understood that if you make yourself bigger in any way, then you you run the risk of giving away a penalty if it hits your arm. You remember Sissoko in the Champions League final a couple of years ago? You know when he was pointing, obviously he didn't mean it, but his hand was out and he was making it making a um, a mistake by putting his hand out, and I think Salah clipped the ball into his arm and it was a penalty after like two mm. minutes and. It's those decisions we've got used to because you can kind of say, well, you know, he shouldn't have had his arm out there in the first place. But Lamina last night, I mean, his his hands are pinned to his side. There's no there's no daylight between his arm and his body. 
Like, it's completely pinned to his body. He can't do anything about it. It comes at him from five yards tops fast as well. And I always think with um, with the way we've interpreted the law, that, that isn't a penalty in, in recent years. Um, and the law has now changed to, you know, anything that... You know, if it even comes within a yard of your hand, almost it's it's like oh well, we tried to handball it there, and he just didn't. He he can't. He couldn't have got out the way of it. And I do feel sorry for Fulham because, you know, they get these decisions, and that could relegate them at the end of the season if they go down on mm. on, uh, you know, by a point or on goal difference. You know, that's that's something that could um, could have affected them massively because. You know, this is these are the margins we're playing with. Aston Villa were only in the league last year because someone forgot to turn the f-ing goal line technology on. Like <laughs> this is these decisions can go a long way to uh, to deciding the club's outcome. But I mean, the one the one thing I've always thought with with handball, and I don't know if anyone agrees, but um, the way I interpret it is if if the person's hand wasn't there at all, like if they were just like missing a limb, what would it have what would have happened to the ball? And in that case, last mm. night the ball would have hit Lamina in the rib, and it would have got mm. blocked anyway. So it's not like he was saving the ball or deflecting the ball to a teammate. Um, and if he did, if he if his hand was there, if he's if he'd managed to lose his his lower arm in some sort of freak accident, all all that, all that would have happened is it would have just hit him in the rib, and it would have still bounced to where it would have bounced. But you know they've said, oh well, you know under the laws that's a that's a handball, and that is reason for Scott Parker to lose it like he did in his, his press conference when yet again he was bemoaning ridiculous decisions that could relegate his side as you say it's kind of by the letter of the law and by the new changes that is exactly it was a handball but it shouldn't be a handball by the way we understand the game is played and how we've seen the game played over the past 100 years what really frustrates me is that this season particularly we seem to have introduced these systems and these rules that actually actively make the game less enjoyable to watch and i said before they Mm -hmm. introduced var i I don't think that the technology the introduction of the technology it might make it fairer but it's not going to improve the entertainment of the game in any way and ultimately that's what it is football isn't life and death it is entertainment it is there to give us escapism and the odd wrong call the odd debating point that we had in the game before i don't think is worth the sacrifices that we've made to reduce those and ultimately we're not reducing the number of wrong calls that are being made anyway we've lost that moment of adulation when your team scores we've slowed the game down and i think probably more importantly than any of those we've lost goals which seems ridiculous because every decision that has been made in terms of law changes and in terms of including adding new technology over the last few years over the last maybe two decades has been all geared around increasing entertainment and increasing goals but now we seem to be in a situation where be it ridiculous handballs or be it toenails being offside like with Timo Werner in the Chelsea game we're losing that and I I don't understand the advantages that these rule changes be it VAR or be it changes in handball and I know what they're trying to do they're trying to make it clearer they're trying to make it easier to interpret but it just seems for me the whole thing is a massive, it's a step forward in terms of technology, yeah, fine, but it's a massive step back in terms of actually physically enjoying the game of football. Yep, agreed. Um, and it's one of the, I think the one thing we've been chasing for years in the Premier League is um, is perfection and the fact that, you know, 
we can we can have this amazing world where no one no one gets anything wrong um and that takes away as you say everything that football is for it's about emotion it's about you know fans going mad at a last minute winner not not fans holding their breath and players refusing to celebrate unless you know, it's been through 38 different angles on a VAR mm. check with three virgins in St George's Park or whatever it is, <laughs> and it's like it's it's ridiculous. It's you know, it's it's silly how how what it's come to because I don't know whether the the FA need this explaining to them, but you are never ever gonna get a situation where no football fan moans about some some sort of decision. So you can either let them moan at technology or you can let them moan at referees because there's always gonna no one's ever gonna be hundred percent happy with every decision over the course of a season and everyone's gonna have genuine gripes mm-hmm. and everyone's gonna have loads of cases of sour grapes, um, where they're saying, Oh well that didn't go against us last week. But now these days, you know, um the that that decision for Lamina in particular last night that wouldn't have been given as handball earlier in the season. No way. If it wasn't um, slowed down and watched in various angles, it would never have been a handball. Yeah, exactly. And then you've got you've got obvious decisions like Eric Dyer's handball against Newcastle earlier in the season, and that was that was never handball either. But he, you know, he but by the the letter of the law, he was technically making himself bigger, so he got punished for it. And then that compared to what Lamina did last night, it's just. It's not the same, but they got the same punishment. I mean, I think probably saying Tottenham deserved the win is going a little bit too far, given that decision, Steve. But they were mm. looking impressive in places. Deli Ali was good, so maybe our speculation about him not having a future at the club was a little bit premature. He seems to be establishing himself as a Spurs player again and making himself important to Jose Mourinho. Gareth Bale, on the other hand, I think we were guilty as much as anyone else after the weekend's matches of saying Gareth Bale's back. This is the player that used to be at Real Madrid. But he was pretty much invisible last night. Do you think our calls that he had made a return to form were maybe a, a touch premature? Nah, I think that... No, he's back and forth, he's that's it. Pro- <laughs> he's, he's there. Yeah, I think that, I think that. yes, he had a quiet night by his standards um, and certainly the, the increased standards he's been putting on the, the Tottenham pitch recently. You know, I just think it was one of them nights um, where it's just not gone for him and I just think that it doesn't really detract from the progress he's made um, in recent weeks at, at Tottenham. I just think it's it's one of them. I mean, they got the three points. I think Gareth Bale being Gareth Bale will always have that spotlight shining on him, unfortunately. Um, but I don't think it's anything for Tottenham to be overly concerned about the fact that he well, he didn't have his best game in a Tottenham well in a horrendous Tottenham kit last night. <laughs> uh, Fulham three points off your lot, Newcastle now, Marley. So it's still a bit of a gun fight for who's going to get relegated. <laughs> Do you think Fulham still have a chance of staying up? I mean, it's going to be tight now, isn't it, as to who goes down? It does look like it is between Fulham and Newcastle. Uh, you, well, yeah, they've always got a chance, um, especially when things are going on at Newcastle like they usually like they are now, um, fighting at the training ground. Um, Fulham have no injuries; they have they have the fully fit squad to choose from and things like that. So it's not like they're fighting what we're what we're fighting. I think they've got Liverpool at the weekend. Um, so you'd say they'd probably lose that, even though Liverpool three points for them. Yeah, <laughs> maybe. Um, I think Liverpool will get that done pretty comfortably, but still, Fulham, Fulham could easily get something there. The way the way everything's going, um, Newcastle have got West Brom. Um, I can't see us winning that, to be honest. With with everything that's happened this week and the injuries we've got, um, so yeah, I mean, it's not. <laughs> it's by no means over. I think Newcastle at the minute is. The club is in such a state that relegation almost suits them because 
you know, like it doesn't suit them as in it's not the, not the right thing to happen. But you know, if your manager's fighting your players on the training ground and giving them also, we've had three days off this week. I don't know if anyone's seen this in the in the news, but um, since the weekend, um, Newcastle didn't. So we played on Saturday night. We didn't train Sunday. That's kind of fair enough for recovery and stuff like that. Didn't train Monday. Tuesday came into train, had a fight on the training pitch. Uh, Wednesday had a day off. Um, Thursday, oh, sorry, Wednesday we trained. Thursday had another day off, and then they're in training today and sa- today and Saturday, ready for Sunday. Like three days off in a week where you've got three players out injured, and you need to find a way to beat a relegation rival um, to get three points is is bizarre. But yeah, that's mm. that's the, that's the state we're in at the minute. So um, you know, no Wilson, no Saint Maximan, no Almiron, and. Almost no hope going into the weekend, but I mean we've got West Brom. They're not even a good team, but you'd probably back them to get something off us. Incidentally, on the handball thing we were talking about earlier, there is a meeting on Friday. So today, I don't know if it's next Friday or it's today actually, but the International Football Association Board, who make all the laws, are meeting, and there's going to be further clarification in that meeting as to how handball might look next season it's point number six on their agenda apparently so we might get some clarification over the weekend as to whether there will be any adjustments to the handball rule next season in terms of Tottenham though that was their first consecutive victory so they've not put two wins together since November of last year which is very spursy isn't it but do you know who that last victory was against so when they last put two victories together back to back who was the second victory against in that period Man United Uh, No, it was against Manchester City. Close, just a few miles away. And at that time, Tottenham were top of the table as well. (laughs) That was on November the 8th, which, again, very, very spursy. Right, we're going to look at the other end of the table next because it was a big game for West Bromwich Albion facing Everton and they need to start picking up points if they're going to escape relegation. Did they? We'll find out next on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. To hear the latest Premier League news for your team, just ask Open Sport Social. So I said just before the break that West Bromwich Albion needed to pick up points against Everton. Did they pick up points? No, they did not. It was our third nil-one game of the trio of games last night. Everton being victorious at the Hawthorns. And every West Brom game I watch right now, Steve, seems to be from both sides just a game and probably for viewers as well just a game that you want to get out the way was that the case for Everton last night it was kind of like right let's get the result let's get into those European spots let's get West Brom pushed to the side and focus on the next game they just seem like horrible games that no one really wants to be involved with I just think that's part of the due to how Sam Allardyce sets them up um you know Mr back 10 um Anti-football, I've said it before, the worst thing to ever happen to the Premier League. And um, I just think that, you know, you look at it and you just go, right, it's going to be a, a tough game. It's going to be, not because of the ability that West, that West Brom have got, just because of the way they're set up. And I think that, you know, Everton took a while to get into the game last night, you know, to be fair. But when they did, they huffed and puffed and, you know, got the got the reward through, through a really good header from Rich Allison. And I just think that, you know, I don't think he was the right appointment for West Brom when they needed it. I think they needed someone a bit more progressive um, because I think the having that deep block and 
setting up to still be in a game and try and nick something on the counter. It, it's such a high-risk strategy. I think they needed someone a bit more progressive than that when they were in a relegation battle. And I just think that that, that kind of wrong appointment is probably going to cost West Brom their Premier League status this season. And a fair play to Everton. You know, they've just gone there, got it done, and they move on, you know, like you just said, to the next game. And thankfully, I think they've played West Brom twice now, haven't they? And, and they don't need to face them again. As for Everton, Marley, I mean, Richarlison, his goal was the difference again. As has been on a few occasions recently. He's looking like an absolute baller at the moment. Really? I think so. <laughs> I think the last three games or so, he's looked absolutely top form. And I, I mean, I don't know, maybe I'm going a bit far by saying there aren't many better in the Premier League, but he's certainly been decent, hasn't he? Uh, yeah, he's, he's got uh, goals in his last four games now, uh, Richarlison. So I think just as... As Calvert Lewin's his goals haven't quite like dried up, but they've certainly dropped off a little bit. Um, and it's important that you have someone who can step up and and find the net when um, when that happens. So I mean, he scored against he scored the goal against Man City a few weeks ago. Scored in the Merseyside derby. Scored the winner against uh, Southampton. Then he scored the winner against West Brom. So he's he's proving that there's um, there's a player there. And the one thing that's always always impressed me about Richarlison is his physicality as um, as a kid from Brazil they're usually not the most um, sort of physical they don't want to jump for headers and things like that they're scared of getting hurt um, and last night he, I think he got punched in the head by Sam Johnson but he managed to head the head the ball in um, and it was one of them really impressive things like it's mentality that, that gets you that goal and because you know you're going to get hit you know that goalkeeper's not pulling out of a punch you could you could get a concussion quite easily um, but he still put his head on it and he thought well there's a winner here if I if I had this in um, we, you know we can we can win this game easily because West Brom aren't the most free scoring of teams and he, he put his head on it and fair play and now they've got Chelsea in the next game and uh, he'll be hoping that um, that can continue because he's, he's a top player Richarlison it's just sometimes his consistency is a little bit uh, questionable mm-hmm. but starting to show that I think and uh, there's there's definitely a good player there and the likes of Ancelotti can definitely get the best out of him and uh, see how far he can go Our third controversial call of the night came in this game as well there was the offside call which was right at the end, could have got West Brom a point, they had a goal disallowed probably by the letter of law again, it was probably a right call. It was offside, albeit very, very fractional. Although Sam Allardyce was furious after the game, Steve. He claimed his side should have had a penalty. He said in his post-match interview, if someone this week wants to give him a call on the phone and explain why it wasn't a penalty, then he'd love someone to do that. Do you want his number, Steve? Uh, yeah, I could uh, give Sam a ring and um, you know, enlightening him about what... Um, you know, football should be like and um, how it's a game of emotion, it's a game of energy, it's a game of marginal um, gains and, and it's a game of um, highs and lows. But, you know, I just think that, I, I just think that Sam Allardyce is just so outdated. Um, he, he'd had a lot of time out of the game. Um, he, he hasn't really delivered, you know, since he's been at Sunderland. And I just think that, like I say, I just think the game's moved on and I think he's not the only manager um, I mean, I'm sure Marley, you know, would point the finger at Steve Bruce on in, on that basis as well. But um, I just think that, yeah, it, it's just a mistake. You know what I mean? And I think that, you know, all joking aside, I think that um, 
you know, he's, he's, unfortunately, West Brom have had some decisions to go their way this season, and these things tend to even themselves out, don't they? I mean, I thought the offside was was offside as well, just to add to that, um, you know, for the so-called equaliser. But, yeah, just move on, Sam. It's a battle you can't it? win that. Why has it not worked, Marley, for Sam this time? Because, I mean, it might be an early call to make that, actually, because it might still work. He might still keep West Brom up. It's looking very unlikely at the moment. But he's, he's managed my club. He's managed your club. And at both those destinations, he, he kind of did a job. It was a means to an end, I guess. I mean, he kept West Ham in the Premier League. So, to that respect, he did a job. But this time, it just hasn't worked. Is it the game has moved on, as Steve says, around him? Has he been left behind? Yeah, I would think so. Um, the only thing is, I think you know his experience speaks a lot, and that's that's why he keeps getting jobs. Um, his experience of the league and things like that. But the more you go back to that Sam Allardyce well of, you know, oh, well, he'll get us out of trouble. Like the more the game moves on, there's more. Um, I think it's more a pit than a well. Yeah, isn't pretty it? much. You're only you're only going to get deeper <laughs> in it, aren't you? So. Um, the game's just yeah. I think the game moves on a little bit more. There's there's more ways of of uh, of playing. There's more styles to play against um, than ten years ago, obviously. Um, and I think his his methods work between sort of 2000 and 2010. But then, you know, that's eleven years ago now. So, you know, you know, you're looking. We've had him at our clubs, haven't we? So we know what he's like. Um, he he didn't do much with Newcastle. His his um, his tactics and way of playing at Newcastle was lumping up to Mark Viduka, who we had at the time, um, and he was he was I think he was thirty when we had him, so it, we we were kind of just sort of playing off that big man, and it was it was almost like Bolton Mark II, um with the way the way it worked, but it worked for him there, and he thought well it'll work here, and then from then on he's pretty much had sort of missions like survival jobs to to come into, um, and by luck or Oh, crook! He's um he's managed to to get a few results and and not be relegated. But this always feel this always felt to me like too too much. He's bitten off more than he can chew with um with West Brom this season purely because of the fact that they did try and play football um under under Slavin Bilic and they tried to play slightly more positive, slightly more passing and possession based. And when you go from that style to Sam Allardyce's style of um, let's be solid at the back and then try and nick one or try and you know score from set pieces and stuff like that. I think that that has such a long time that you've got a uh, like a, a really long sort of bedding in time um, that the players are, are, are going to run out of time before they actually come good. So I think that's what's happening with West Brom at the minute. It does feel like Sam Allardyce is constantly playing. You know those challenges you get when you play FIFA where you kind of have to go in and achieve the impossible, like win the league from 20 points behind or keep a team safe. That is just yeah. Sam Allardyce constantly. He's never getting the opportunity to build a club from the start to go into the transfer market. It's always like, come in, save the club, job done, you get a little medal at the end or something like that. Um, the other manager, Carlo Ancelotti, interesting statement from him last night. The club are now fifth, Everton fifth, chasing those Champions League places. He said after the match, at the start of the season, no one would say Everton after 26 games would be there. Surely that's not the case, Steve. I mean, I would have said Everton were one of the favourites to be around the top four, particularly given the start they had at the start of the season when they went on that run. They were top for a little while, I seem to remember. So, I mean, he's overselling Champions League qualification there. It would be great for the aspirations of the club, but at the same time, I'd say it was 
always kind of achievable, if not expected, that Everton would be up there. Yeah, especially after them winning the league in October. Um, you know, <laughs> <laughs> worst title uh, defence than yeah. yours, that. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, um, I just think that uh, you know we, we've talked about Everton in depth um, over these last kind of weeks and months, um, and I think that Everton. Um, given the investment that's gone into that squad, have been knocking on the door, haven't they? I think that even with Carlo Ancelotti in the squad, I think if everyone's on song, they're probably still sixth, seventh best team in the country. Um, but I just think that, uh, yeah, you know, I think that Carlo is a, he's, he's very experienced, isn't he? And he's got a lot of knowledge and he's been very successful. And I just think he's just trying to manage the situation. Um, and almost kind of like, you know, temper expectation a little bit. But I just think that, yeah, fair play. Just go about the business. They're chalking off the games. Um, they're winning football matches, which which is a good habit to be in. Um, you know, I remember when my team used to do that. Um, <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I just think that it's, uh, you know, the, the Premier League needs a competitive Everton. And I just think that, um, yeah, with the sound bites and messages that come out and stuff like that, I just think that I take it all with a pinch of salt. Very quickly, I want to finish off today's podcast talking about the international break that is on the way very soon. Now, you posted this on Twitter yesterday on the Sports Social Twitter, Marley, at the Sports Social, if you want to go and find it there. It was an infographic published by The Sun, which handily showed which players could miss 10 days of training and matches if they actually do go on their international break and have to observe the quarantine rules coming back. Let's ignore the fact that the infographic was completely wrong. I mean, who would have thought the Sun would do a poor amount of research into publicising something? But the, te- the some of the clubs they listed, some of the players won't be returning from countries where actually where there are the this 10-day quarantine period in place. But is it just me that feels like it's absolutely madness having this international break at the moment? It's a completely pointless break. We've got the Euros round the corner. So why is it taking place in the first place, Marley? <laughs> I don't know, mate. Um, <laughs> we've not we've not had a pointless uh, international break for a while, so it's, we're kind of due one. Um, but if it causes all this disruption to uh, to the season and and they have to enforce this ten day quarantine period when you come back, it's it's worth just binning it off. Um, there's no reason why we can't. Like I think this this international break is basically for um, to sort of form a squad ahead of the European Championships this summer, but. There's no reason why you can't do that. Like the week after the Premier League ends, or the week after en- every league ends in the um, in the sum- well, sort of May time. You know what I mean? But you know, but it's not many of the European nations that are involved, isn't it? It's mainly South American yeah. nations that are in- involved. I think. Yeah, it's bizarre, and you know, on that on the graph. I mean, the graphic was was stupid. I think it's just a, a, a column filler and an, an inch filler in the in the paper or online, but you know. The fact that they had Joe Linton in Brazil's uh, national setup was uh, was was the bit where I just started <laughs> burst out laughing um, because the, I mean unless Brazil have started to pick their uh, their national squads out of a tombola then uh, Joe Linton's got no chance of playing for, uh, it's for Alan Brazil. Brazil's mm-hmm. five aside team that they're talking about. He's, he's been drafted in. <laughs> I mean, from a Liverpool point of view, Steve, you look at the supposedly the players that the Sun are claiming you could lose for 10 days. They've listed uh, Alison Becker, Fabinho, Roberto Firmino and Diogo Jota. I mean, you'd be... At, I mean, FIFA have said to managers, you don't have to release players 
for this international break. If you don't want to let them go, they don't have to go, which is a bit of a seed change for FIFA to actually say that. But you'd be absolutely furious if Jurgen Klopp went, yeah, off you go, lads, don't worry about it. We can do without you for a week and a half. Yeah, I just think it, the whole thing's bonkers. I mean, you know, everyone knows my feelings on, on the international football. And um, I just think that these clubs play to pay as wages, um, easy to say. Um, you know, they just kind of, you know, if you look at kind of, I mean, I have to use Liverpool as an example because that's the, the team I know most about. But, you know, if you're looking at Mo Salah on 200 grand a week at Liverpool, um, he goes and plays for Egypt um, or, or Roberto Firmino goes and plays for Brazil or whatever. They get injured. Um, it's, it's catastrophic. I mean, that's what happened to Joe Gomez in England training. His, his season was ended. And um, and then you bring into it the, the pandemic and the fact that they need to quarantine for 10 days. And if if they get through the game unscathed, and it's just like, no, no, no. Um, yeah, and I just think that all the um, managers who have doubled down and said we're probably not going to release them, I just think they're absolutely right to do it. And I just think that um, international football at this moment in time and having these lads flying all over the world and going to various places and stuff like that, it's just a recipe for disaster. I mean, we've seen it, didn't we, when there was a load of internationals last time. The, the cases of, mm. of COVID in the clubs rocketed. And I just think that there's not much sense applied to it. But yet again, we are talking about FIFA and UEFA who, um, let's face it, don't have the finger firmly on the pulse when it comes to, to matters of this kind. They are totally tone deaf. And I just think that international football, I mean, I'm gobsmacked we're talking about hosting the Euros and summer and stuff like that. And I just think international football should be parked until next year. Yeah, forget about the footballing aspect of this particular international break. The moral aspect is a completely mm. different thing to be raised. Uh, but we'll leave Football Social Daily there for another day. Niall and the lads will be back tomorrow to, for the full preview. So when you wake up Saturday morning, go and click Football Social Daily wherever you listen to your podcast. you get a preview of all the forthcoming matches. Go listen to that. And if you want to find a brand new podcast, be it a football podcast or something else, you can check out a load of great shows that are now on the Sports Social Podcast Network. You can find your next favourite sports show at sport-social.co.uk. But as for today, Marley, Steve, thank you very much. Cheers, lads. Cheers, guys. Have a great weekend. We'll see you next time for another podcast for Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily from Sport Social. Find us on Facebook. Search Sport Social. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family cannolis and spins mean everything now you want to get mixed up in the family business introducing the godfather at chumpacasino.com test your luck in the shadowy world of the godfather slot someday i will call upon you to do a service for me play the godfather now at chumpacasino.com welcome to the family no purchase necessary vgw group void where prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply